happy one year anniversary to the Real Estate of Things podcast. A huge thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us on this journey. I had to break out the big guns for this week's episode. Jeff Tennyson, the CEO of Lima One Capital and a titan in the mortgage industry, he gives me a state of the industry rundown. I'm Dalton Elliott. This is the Real Estate of Things. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Jeff, thank you for joining. Well, thanks a lot, Dalton. Uh, I mean, it's been a year. I know. Since we did, we started the Real Estate of Things. So congratulations on a one-year anniversary. There should be like balloons or, 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 know, or some uh, confetti, confetti some or poppers. something we'll, popping. We'll, when the episode airs, we'll have to have some pomp and circumstance around here. But what a year it's been. I mean, you know, when we launched this a year ago in September, uh, the whole concept was to provide new thought leadership and direction and just ideas and and concepts and and tricks of the trade and all the different components. And and you've done a really good job of that. I appreciate that. It's it's so fun. It's so much more than I thought it was going to be when we had this idea uh, last summer. And being able to talk with operators, uh, attorneys, executives, economists, so many different people in the space. Uh, and I always walk away from these conversations with a few more nuggets of knowledge. And it's so fun to be able to talk to people in a format that you just don't get to in the daily deal-by-deal tactical. Uh, so it's been great. And I think uh, who have some of your favorite guests been? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, I think it's by now we're almost 52 episodes. I mean, it's been, you've, and so there's been so many, I mean, you know, I mean, we've got to, to go back and, and thank Gary Beasley for kicking this off from episode number one. That's very true. (laughs) And, uh, and I thought that was a good way to do it. But, you know, the, the ones that have kind of really related to me. Uh, are the are the practical ones in many ways? A guy like Jimmy Moore mm-hmm. at Camellia House. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jimmy and his partner, you know, Central Alabama uh, launched in 2019, and and the fact that he was kind of new in this space, uh, but they've done such a great job exploding um, in the Birmingham new construction market, the build to rent, and all the different components. But gave some really interesting practical ideas on how. Uh, real estate investors in this space that are working on new construction and development can can make a big difference and and quickly ramp up and and scale a business. Yeah, a new entrant like that and moving so fast, great to see and hear just those on-the-fly insights that he's learned over the last few years. Uh, one that stands out for me is Andre Sikoric. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, that was great. And you, you talk about someone who came to this country, uh, just really that – American success story of, of my, an immigrant coming over, building, really bootstrapping a business from zero to 100, and now dozens and dozens of employees, multiple states. They're in Minneapolis, expanding to Florida. Uh, that was a, a great story of someone who just uh, came over and seized every opportunity that was put in front of them. So hearing uh, a story with kind of a deeper personal background like that, that always pulls me in. You know, we talk a lot here at Lima One about um, 
the, the impact we have on neighborhoods and communities across the country. And you see things like Andre's basically he's not only impacting communities, but he's impacting families by giving them jobs and giving them opportunities and the number of employees he's created from doing something. And we hear and see these stories, fortunately, in our business at Lima One every single day. Um, and, uh, you know, one that, 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 that I, I really liked, you kind of did back-to-back with Jonathan Klunk. Yeah. Um, you know, he did a, you know, his his uh, uh, six-degree real estate company and key and some other components that he's kind of put together. And it was like a master class on short-term rental uh, and uh, short, short-term investment. And I thought that was really helpful. And then, you know, he wrapped it up the next week with kind of an overview of the Louisville market. So mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing you've done a really good job is bringing geographic components that people can see, oh, I had thought about Louisville, Kentucky. Right. And you bring somebody like Jonathan in, and he identifies, okay, I don't think he probably wants more competition in Louisville, but there's all sorts of, there's there's only one New York City and L.A. and Dallas and, and Chicago, but there are just hundreds of Louisville, mm-hmm. kentucky size. Uh, um, geographics that people can take advantage of and recognize that the real estate investment opportunity uh, is not simply in these big cities and big metropolitan areas, but as we see at Lima One and as Jonathan identified, there's some real opportunities in second and third tier markets. Yeah, absolutely. And and another one that stands out for me is Matt Sudica of OB Insurance. Ah, I, I think insurance is something that often gets left off as a a secondary feature of our space but it really is one of those things that if you do not have it buttoned up top to bottom you could find yourself naked as the tide goes out and that's it's really to hear some actionable insights especially for investors and we see this at lima one who start off in sfr investing right one to four unit properties and then want to expand above and beyond that and go into the multifamily side you're dealing with two different beasts and a few, you know, things that you're looking out for on the one to four side, those play very differently in the five plus unit uh, insurance market. And, you know, if you are not you know, studying up and really making that part of your business plan, as opposed to just, you know, whatever off the shelf option is there. Uh, yeah, you could find yourself in trouble. So really good actionable insights from that one. Well, you yeah, know, that reminds me of uh, the other one that was I learned a lot from was uh, John John Curry at Citanta. Mm-hmm. I mean, acquisition to development loans, while you know, we don't do those at Lima One Capital, that's another industry that's taken off, and people like Citanta and John and his team have done a really good job developing and working through that. But that's a whole new side of the real estate business that if you're not careful, you get in a lot of trouble not truly understanding that whole acquisition of what we would call the horizontal components of a real estate project are totally different than the vertical components that many of us end up lending on. Yeah, it's tricky, and it's it's very much a niche. As much of a niche as we are in the private lending space compared to the forward owner ox space, like that land A&D, it, all the more a niche. Uh, so, yeah, John Curry, always great sitting down with him, Listening to him at conferences, he is he is a real hoot of a guest, uh, and I know a friend to both of us. So. Well, in that Scottish accent, kind of <laughs> just adds a little bit of element to it that, this is, that uh, truly makes it uh, pretty special. This is very true. So, so, so what? Who else? Episode wise, you know, you? Uh, 
you know, I always appreciate Darren Bloomquist uh, at auction.com. Yeah. Uh, his insights, you know, and data uh, are really, particularly in today's economy, uh, that are relevant to what's going to happen with interest rates. We'll probably get into that a little later today. Yeah. What's going to happen in the housing market. Uh, we're wrestling a lot with that as we're continuing to grow and lend, which we'll talk about. So he's always very interesting, and I appreciate his insights. And, and then I'm a personal passion for kind of continuing to grow and build the private lending uh, industry. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, uh, Leonard Rosen from the National Private Lenders Association and Eddie Wilson at Apple, AAPL uh, kind of represent those trade associations that are growing and developing, and I think clearly important from a lender's perspective that we pay attention to those, that we all actively get involved in those, uh, because it's really important uh, from whether it's a regulatory perspective, a legislative component perspective, uh, even a networking perspective, that we grow a much more professional private lending. So I've been personally involved uh, in that element of the private lending business, and, and I think it's real important uh, as we grow the lending side of our business because it's such an important capital support uh, for the entire real estate investor market. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, this is fun. It's it, Time flies by, and so it's good to you know always focus on next episode, next theme, how do we drive more value for the audience, but it's fun to sit down with you and and just kind of reminisce about the great guests we've had and especially folks uh, early on uh, this time a year ago who we had no episodes, we had no proof of concept. It was, hey, we have this idea, will you come join, uh, be a guest, chat back and forth. And, and we've just been so fortunate to have uh, just a continuous log of people coming aboard to to be guests on the show and so many like John Curry coming back for uh, some repeats to share more insights. So excited about year number two. Yep. Yep. Well, that's great. And, you know, to our guests listening to this podcast or any of our podcasts, I mean, where can they, if they have an idea of someone they'd like to hear more from, a concept they'd like to hear us do something on, where can they get in touch with you or uh, real estate of things to give us some ideas. Yeah, I, I love being in the weeds. So Dalton, D-A-L-T-O-N, at lima1.com. Best way to reach out. Uh, shoot me a note. Yeah, if there are any guests you want back on, anybody in your network who you think would be a great guest, shoot me a note and, and we'll get linked up. Uh, so, Jeff, this year, 2022, I keep waiting for a year that's just going to be ho-hum, nothing crazy, nothing out of the woodwork, and we're not – this year was not one of those years. Yeah, no. we, we cruised into January with low rates and uh, HPA going positive, all of these tailwinds, and then rates started to rise, inflation running rampant. So plenty of, uh, plenty of headwinds to point to, but with all of the hecticness that has been going on in this space – just kind of broadly level set for us. How did we get to where we are today, and and what does today look like? Well, it's it's this twenty twenty two has been probably one of the most interesting lending environments I've lived through, and, and really? unfortunately, probably for many, I'm, I've lived through several of these, uh, and it's just an interesting time. I think. I mean, if you get, kind of step back and say what created this. Mm-hmm. You really had a big impact on 2020, 
with COVID and people, the market kind of not sure what was ahead and everything slowing down to a stop, if not a, a basic crawl. Uh, we came out of that uh, environment and we were humming along pretty effectively in by mid 2021, things were looking really good. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little overheated. Sure. Uh, and now a lot overheated. And that's when, when all of a sudden inflationary and other concerns came and the, the interest rates. And so for the first time in really late 21, early 22, we began to really impact a rising interest rate environment. Yeah. And our the private lending industry had never experienced a rising interest rate environment. And so I think two things were, were highly recognized from that. One, capital was a little freer for this space than it probably should have been. And so as a result, at the point in time you have a rising interest rate environment, you now uh, have a lot more uh, questions and a lot more disciplines around who and what kind of capital can I provide? And I think that's what we're seeing today is the capital providers were got a little, uh, probably a little uh, drunk on, on the growth that they could participate in and recognize that not only do you have to deploy capital, but you have to get a return on capital. Right. And I think that return was, was when, when there was more demand than supply, I think there was a high, there was the, the return will never end. Then when demand and supply get closer to balance, now all of a sudden you have to give some thoughtfulness to your capital uh, providers and and, uh, the other components. And I think as a result, that's what we're seeing today is capital is not as freely flowing. And we're seeing the haves and the have-nots and the capital providing that is creating higher interest rates. The higher interest rates also then, then go to the real estate investors who are also it was easier to do it when you could get low rates and didn't have to worry as much about the analysis you put on your project and the other components. Yeah. Now that the interest rate's higher, it's a more costly entrance. Now all of a sudden you've got to be more thoughtful, and I think that's why we're seeing more experienced real estate investors and those who have, have doing this for a living, not as a hobby, mm-hmm. are the ones that are really making a difference in this space. And so that takes some of the, quote, demand out, and that then limits some of the supply from the capital providers and lenders uh, that are out in the space. I think we're living in one of the more difficult times. Uh, I think this is more difficult right now than it even was in 2020 COVID time. Really? And I say that because everyone lost in 2020. It just right. went to a stop. And then those who were had the capital, had access to capital, they still had to stop. But they use that time to really reassess what should their strategies be going forward? Who should their capital partners be going forward? What should the products look like and the other alternatives that go with that? And I think those that really are thoughtful about that and are really beginning to grow through that, uh, those who uh, were just kind of doing the best they can and running really hot, it made a, a, a little different approach to it. So, Yeah, you, you run – one of the biggest and you know, the nation's premier lender for real estate investors, Lima One. Uh, you've been a CEO since when? You were thirty something years old. Yeah, that's probably 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 late thirties, early forties. So. Yeah, so you've and I'm uh, sixty now, so that's 
about 25 years. It's almost a lifetime for me. So you've, you've been a CEO since I was in kindergarten. Uh, what keeps you up at night in this current market? And conversely, what are you not worried about, maybe from a headline standpoint that you look at and go, I'm not terribly concerned about that? Uh, you know, that's a great question, and I do get asked that a lot. Um, I think what what I'm not worried about uh, is a, a 2007-2008 kind of total collapse of the – I've probably got to be careful what I say that's uh, publicly uh, disclosed because, you know, as soon as something happens, this is going to get played back to me. <laughs> but I, I, I just – I don't think – I think we've got two – I think the, the real estate investment industry is too well-defined and too developed – for us to be overly worried about that going away. I mean, fixing, you know, people think fix and flip and rental properties are a new concept. They've been going on forever. Right. And so that's, I don't worry about having clients available uh, who are going to be doing real estate investment projects and that's going on. I don't worry about capital going away. I think this is a, we have demonstrated through COVID, through the current events of today, that our the the capital uh, that's going into thought thoughtful, smart lenders and capital provide equity providers and, and debt providers, uh, those who do that and do it well, there's a good return. Uh, the the uh, the borrowers are performing well, uh, and so I think as long as you know the two things we look for as a lender uh, and the and the equity players that come in and put money into a lender, you know, you want the yield of your product and you want it to perform well. So a, a, a mortgage lender or any kind of lender can never do well when your loan doesn't perform. Yeah. And so people, you know, talk about a lot, well, lenders do that so they can, you know, particularly in the real estate investment space, oh, they make a loan there so they can ultimately own the product at a property at a totally different loan to value or a totally different value. That's just not true for, for a legitimate, thoughtful nationally scaled lender we do not want to own these properties we want people to we want to make the loan we want them to pay us back that is our whole business model is it's guided off of and so i think if you continue to do that the 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 asset managers will really like the rental investor loans because they are a bit higher yielding than fannie freddie and some of the other consumer and they're performing very well because effectively, the way I like to think about this business today is we are effectively the capital providers to real estate investors. Mm-hmm. And before the lending industry became something that is of national uh, scale, they had to go to friends and family and get equity. Well, the, the actual raw cash equity is much more expensive than what you can get a, a mortgage loan for. And so we provide a much more cost-efficient form of capital for these real estate investors than they used to be able to get. And so as long as we can continue to do that, it's a really good good partnership between the capital markets who like our higher interest rates than the traditional owner-occupied loans. But at the same time, it's a more efficient capital source for the real estate investors as long as everybody performs what they're doing. So I don't worry about that. What what I, I really probably worry about uh, – more than anything else is today, it's what is going to happen in a recessionary environment with, with property values. Right. And so we're spending a lot more time today in our credit committees 
and other things on the lending side, thinking about what is the property values going to do. That's the hardest part to analyze because at the end of the day, our return is either in someone paying us back or the property value being such that we don't have a loss if we would if we would have to take it back. We have a higher probability of needing to take that property back when the loan value is worth less than the property value. Right. And so what we that's why a lender is looking at really two or three things, you know, the ability to pay, willingness to pay, but more importantly, the collateral that's it, it, it. so that's what we're wrestling with now because if you look at appraisals, appraisals are based on historical precedent of values, mm-hmm. which we know is probably not going going to continue to increase as rapidly as it has. And so are they overpriced meaningfully or are they just not going to continue to increase? My personal feeling today is that we will continue to see home price appreciation mm-hmm. in most markets. There'll be some markets that have some depreciation and some things that, that aren't going to be as effective. But I think you'll continue to see, but you won't see it at 10, 15, 20%. You're going to see it at 3 and 5%, which quite, quite frankly is probably healthy. Right. And so from a lender's perspective, as long as we don't see home price depreciation or HPD, mm-hmm. we're still seeing HPA, which is positive. And from the where we are today, if it appreciates, we'll still see a good value going on. But that's probably where I'm most worried. Um, you know, I think we will see a... I, I personally believe we're in a mild recession right now. Yeah. And I think we will see that last through the middle of the summer of 23. And so I think, uh, but there's some, a lot of noise in that. There's a November election that's going to have some, some, some issues of that's going to have people's interest in how that impacts the, the, the fiscal policy of our country. Uh, but I, I don't think the recession as it looks today, I don't believe the recession will be meaningfully worse than what we're seeing. And if that's the case, I think it's a healthy time for us to reset and be reasonable and intentional and disciplined about what we do, not to run from it. Yeah, you mentioned HPA pulling back to normal. And it feels like there's a short memory with a lot of folks in the space of 10, 20, and Austin, 35% year-over-year year HPA, that's not normal. Getting Listing a house on a Friday and then having a dozen offers on a Saturday, that's not normal. It's normal for 3 to 5% appreciation. It's normal for it to take a couple weeks before you get a, an offer on a home that you are going to accept. It's kind of in line with market. And uh, I think that's a big piece as well. Uh, interest rates, right? That's that's another we have a couple words for this year and interest rate that definitely falls in the bucket. So uh, we're sitting in September. What do you see the back quarter of the year looking like? Uh, and then take us through 2023 as well. Well, I'm not an economist. I know, I so, know. This is this is uh, reading the tea leaves. <laughs> this is the this is the most educated guess because it's all a guessing game to a certain extent, right? You no, know, I think we're in September. I think you know, Chairman Powell on the last uh, uh, Fed meeting uh, hinted very strongly that we will continue to see rates increase. So I would be very surprised if we don't see another 75 basis point increase yeah. in the month of September. The next Fed meeting. Uh, I, th- I think, you know, I-, I think we saw some maybe not tangible slowness, but b- 
but but maybe emotional slowness in the economy after the first 150 basis point increases we've seen. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. Chairman Powell seemed to imply that there needs to be at least another 20 after the 75, another 25 to 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, it wouldn't surprise me if, from the Fed's perspective, we don't see 100, no more than 125. I don't know that we'll see 150. Uh, that doesn't directly impact uh, uh, the mortgage rates because we're more long-term than short-term and some of that kind of stuff. But uh, but I think it, it without a doubt, impacts uh, the cost of funds across. I mean, I think that's what people don't understand. It's like, well, that's short-term rates. You're looking more at longer-term rates. Why are you increasing them? Well, most of us borrow much more on a short-term basis in the lending space. And so by those short-term rates moving uh, our cost of funds increase, and so we have to either absorb those costs or pass those along uh, to borrowers. And, and the, the reality is, you do a little bit of both yeah. uh, along the way. So I think we'll see, you know, probably another fifty to seventy-five basis points of increases here over the balance of this year to early twenty-three, and then I think things will settle in at that, and then we'll not see any meaningful rate reductions until I think probably Q3. But I think in Q3 of next year, there's a high probability we'll begin to see rates declining a bit as things have slowed down. They've got their arms around the economic inflationary risk and all the effort components. And then I think you'll see the other side that rates will start going down. And, you know, I think all of us will benefit from that. I think the one unknown is 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 housing inventory. Mm-hmm. I think we benefited from a low housing inventory going into this environment that really escalated dramatically as a result of rates declining. Has now kind of paused with rates going up, particularly on the you know owner occupied side, which is probably eighty five percent of the homes being sold in America. Quite frankly, are going to owner occupants, yeah. not real estate investors, right. and. And so I think that pause, and the, and the real estate investors are not going to fill that gap that the owner-occupants are leaving because of the... So I think as rates go down, then we'll start seeing. So the question is going to be, particularly, and this relates back to, to home prices, What's, at what point do we have more, much more of an equilibrium yeah. of, of uh, inventory in the housing market? Because we get over... And I think what this rate increase is doing is slowing down. We're seeing, we're seeing buildings slow down. Yeah across the country, and I think that's positive because we're not going then to have this overheated, overexposed, over-inventory housing market that I think we were on the way to having if things had continued the way they were six months ago. So interesting. We had, you know, going up to 07, 08, you had overbuilding, and then it dropped off a cliff, right? You had severe underbuilding, and even pre-pandemic, you still had, by most economists estimations you had underbuilding right and then covid hit you had uh lockdown supply chain issues labor issues and take out the lockdown piece you still have significant supply chain and labor issues throughout the country uh, so it feels like we are probably best case years away from a normalized building schedule uh, but you don't think it's a bad thing um, that we still stay, you know, kind of on the underbuilt side. I, I think for the, in the current risk of inflation, right? 
I think housing has to play a role in steadying that. Got it. And and because that's the single largest invest, that's the single largest spend that most families will ever use, ever have. Mm-hmm. And so you want to pull, we want to turn that down a bit as you try to rationalize your economy. And so housing has to play a role in it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the, one of the things that really is helpful when the, uh, or the, one of the, one of the, 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 the knobs that they turn when they manage interest rates. And I think we're seeing that. So. Yeah. It's, it almost was a silver lining going into COVID related to home prices that we had been underbuilding leading up to it because you you didn't have a precipitous drop off a cliff if you had been overbuilding and then people find themselves out of work and then it could really spiral and it there's a scenario you see where american housing could have gone back down to the mat if we had that oversupply going into covid so it does seem like the undersupply piece is not necessarily a bad thing in recent past, now, and for the next couple of years, probably. But I think you also you also saw coming out of '07 and '08 the the just dearth of housing activity, which which but it it stopped all the infrastructure development around people who will build houses, systems that can handle it, all the different components. I think we just began to to get, and we see how long it takes to get that building infrastructure developed in our country from the dead stop, it was at in 07, 08, to kind of begin to build and do the things we need to do uh, to get this kind of continuing to get it back on track. And so I think the fact that we've got that infrastructure now developed will be really helpful as the interest rates and other things cooperate to keep that moving. And so it will scale up and down as the interest rate environment allows it to. You also have a multiple different group of people helping to fill that capacity gap. In 07, 08, the only people buying homes were owner-occupants. Today, you have a whole new industry in this uh, business purpose lending, private lending space that has supported. And it's because of that, because of the work that we've done in private lending, developing it on the capital market side and the financial uh, markets have accepted us as a very valid uh, debt stream mm-hmm. that creates a whole new group of people who also will be filling that gap. So that's going to be very helpful at the right time we return it. That created some of the overheating, mm-hmm. heating it, that created it where we are today, but we were able to manage it. Uh, and so I think all of that is actually a healthy life cycle of a new entrant, a new process, but also the ability to scale up and scale down as you get to it. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And let's talk about kind of areas of opportunity through the lens of the products that you have at Lima One Capital, right? Everything from rehab to rentals, new construction, multifamily, bridge, really a big tent. And uh, how are you, you know, what do you see as the biggest product opportunities? Do you think new construction is going to continue to be? kind of an up and to the right. Uh, we talked earlier about a lot of folks who are going from the single-family side to the multifamily side, and that makes sense as you have this constricted housing stock. People still need places to live. Uh, so you have a lot of rental opportunity there. But what excites you most if you look through Lima One's product set over the next year or so? Yeah, what I, I really love about the Lima One model, uh, 
I guess I had something to do with it, uh, is that we, we do offer diverse, diversification of products. We do a fix-and-flip product, a new construction product, a rental product, a rental portfolio product, and then small balance multifamily um, and and so we we do like all of those, yeah. Uh, purposely, and and you know I think what we're seeing, kind of the, the the most challenging products. I'll start there, then I'll move to the most challenging products we're seeing today, um, is really rental, and the rental product. The capital markets concluded they just didn't understand the long term nature of that loan, and and how do we price it. What's the yield we want to get on that? Not knowing exactly what a what a what a product's going to need to. What's the interest rate on this product going to be in three years, five years? And so as the market settles down, that'll rationalize itself. So I think this got some good opportunities. We're probably a year away from rental properties uh, having a more effective interest rate environment uh, because there's got to be some understanding of what the future interest rates are going to look like. And we're still in the early innings of that assessment. Fix and flip is an interesting category because if you really look back over the history of fix and flip, it's always pretty much been, you know, a pretty flat demand from the fix and flip. And and so I think that the, 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 the thing that makes that, that, doesn't make that as much of an exciting product as one that we will just continue to be a bread and butter product for Lima One Capital. Is I don't see, I don't think it's going to meaningfully spike or increase. It's just going to be pretty. The demand's going to be pretty flat on fix and flip, and it's going to be from a lender's perspective. We talk about it as being how do we execute on that? Yep. You know, how do we deliver a good customer experience? How do we make sure we manage the relationship from application to final payment? All the different components that go with that. What I really do see is real great opportunities and growth in this space is clearly new construction. Right. Uh, I think the the independent real estate investor is going to continue to be a very meaningful part of the new construction growth. And I think the private lenders and folks like Lima One and others are very well positioned to help those guys be more efficient in their capital creation than uh, banks or other form of capital that just aren't as nimble and as effective for real estate entrepreneurs. And that's really where we fit into that kind of ecostructure. The other one that I think is going to, as a result of kind of the interest rate environment increasing, multifamily is, I think, a really good opportunity because people thought they were going to buy a home. The interest rate environment has gone up. You know, I was listening uh, to a recent, the average home last month uh, that was Purchased in America, uh, the just with the interest rate change, changed the monthly payment by seven hundred dollars. That is crazy. That's a material difference. It is a material difference, and so people who 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 thought thought they were going to buy a house now have this seven hundred to a thousand, whatever the the number is, uh, increase, and they're like, "Hmm, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, Uh, and so I think we're going to see people have a real demand for for high-quality new apartments. Mm-hmm. And we think the good opportunity there is the small balance, uh, you know, average of $3 million to $5 million to $7 million, 30 doors, 20, 50 doors, that kind of environment that were all built in the late 70s are in need of renovation. The fix-and-flip real estate investors that were really good at residential fix-and-flip 
why not turn that focus on small multifamily properties uh, that now put new kitchens and baths and, and carpet and paint and all the different things that they're really good at on the residential side, use it on a small multifamily uh, investment. And uh, we're seeing our clients really respond well to that. And I think there's a huge opportunity for those because it's so much more cost effective to go in and renovate those than build them from the ground up, put in the horizontal, do all the stuff you got to do. You probably can't do that for a 50-door building anymore. It needs to be a 200, 300-door building to make that horizontal component cost-effective. Right. So these rehabs are going to be really great opportunities, and we're seeing that being demonstrated pretty consistently. Yeah, and so much of this goes back to the supply piece, and that's what I point to with, you know, if gun to the head, I had to pick one product at Lemo and Capital to stick with, it would be new construction, because you see such a runway out in front of us that it's not it's not going to be a 6, 12, 18 month fix to get back to normal housing stock. It's going to be many, many years, uh, and that's a good thing from the yeah. lending side and from the investor side. That means... Years and years of opportunity runway in front of you, particularly for the the what I would call the the, the small real estate investor compared to the big home builders uh, that are because most of those guys are all publicly traded companies mm-hmm. that ebb and flow with the environment that they're facing uh, in the capital markets. Where the nimble real estate investor that that is out there finding that that infill property one or two. You know these large home builders can't 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 go in and build one or two houses in a in a neighborhood. You know they need to have a whole development somewhere. Well, right. it's hard to find enough space in the areas people want to live to build big developments. Number one, and then two, the ebbs and flows of the capital markets prevent these guys from. You know, I'm, I'm amazed at the at the at the stats showing that the large publicly traded home builders are pulling back on building today. We're not really seeing that in the real estate investors because. Uh, they're seeing opportunities uh, for infill opportunities and infill projects that these large uh, publicly traded companies aren't looking at. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and staying on that topic to kind of wind us down, uh, some investors you talk with are sitting on the sidelines, letting cash on hand pile up a bit, looking at rocky waters out in front. Uh, what would you say to those investors who are kind of on the fence about, you know, we, we have some headwinds here. Like you said, it's the first time in a while that this space has had significant headwinds. Uh, you know, wh- what's your approach when you're, you know, chatting with someone who is a little more conservative on the investing side? Well, uh, I mean, the, 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 the generic answer is be smart. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, then, so, okay, what does that mean? Uh, and, you know, I think, I think what we're finding as a lender and what I think a real estate investor will find is there are two things that are critical to success in this environment. And the uncertainty of what we see in the economy, there are two critical pieces that have to be in place before you can almost get into the, in, into the arena. And it's capital and liquidity. And what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of investors who don't have either of those fighting hard to try to survive in this. And they and, and historically, they could just do more and they would be able to get through it. Today, by doing that, you're going to get upside down really quickly because there's not a certainty of capital and there's not a certainty of liquidity. And so I think 
that's what uh, I would say. How's your capital? What's your capital source? How reliable is that capital source? And then what's your liquidity to withstand ebbs and flows in the cycle, whether it's supply chain or whether it's your construction draws or whatever the components that go with that, how liquid are you? And don't let yourself get over your skis in the uncertainty of today because, you know, it could could all stop tomorrow. Not forever, Mm -hmm. but for two weeks, three weeks, a month, you know. And so, you know, I just did a presentation at the uh, MPLA on running your business in a recession. And, you know, the the comments I gave is, you know, what kind of, you know, you really ought to have six months of cash on hand to run your business or some some stat on that. You need to be intentional about how much liquidity you have, what are you going to do if things shut down, where are you going to move, and you need to be very strategic and very intentional about that to make sure you have capital and liquidity. If you have those two things, you have much less risk that any of these other things will materially affect your ability to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, it oftentimes goes back to that liquidity piece, right? And then some personal finance lessons that translate over to the business world. It's like I have a, you know, some cash that sits in a savings account that is if everything else goes, you know you have liquidity on hand and it shouldn't be any different for a business. You want an emergency fund just for the absolute worst of worst times, you know you have something to fall back on, and uh, yeah, same principle applies over. So, as we close, well, particularly down, with real estate, yeah, because it's such a long term asset, and particularly in new construction, that what you buy today is raw land will probably be a year to two years before you can convert that to cash. Yeah, and so we don't have a true crystal ball as to what that next year, two years looks like. So you've got to almost not pull back and not invest, mm-hmm. but just be smart about it. And it's cyclical, right? American oh, yeah. housing is cyclical. I feel like that's often forgotten. Well, yeah. it is cyclical, but it never goes away. It really never goes away. And mm-hmm. I think that's real estate. Real estate investing is a great right. because it, there's always going to need to be a need for homes to live in. Real estate as as has it's going to have its cycles, mm-hmm. but. You, you've never seen an example where you can't live through it and fight another day. Yeah. And I think that's the part that that's the advice. If you can, if you can keep your wits about you yeah. and keep your capital and your liquidity in place, you'll, you'll come out to a very successful conclusion. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be another storm down the road. You don't know when it's going to be, you don't know what it's going to look like, but just know it's going to be there. Prepare for a storm, whether it come out the other side stronger. Right. Yep. Beautiful. Jeff, I can't thank you enough. This has been fun. This is the one-year episode. Uh, thank you for all your support with this. It wouldn't be possible without you, Lemoine Capital. Uh, yeah, it's it's such a, a fun and I think a valuable uh, tool for uh, our audience, for our clients, and uh, I absolutely learn a ton and have a blast doing it. So thanks for everything you've done for the podcast. Well, you're welcome. And you know, I think I think we have to look back on this, our the the private lending industry, the real estate investment space, and really be proud of the purpose that we create in this, and that we and when we are investing in these neighborhoods, it's improving them, it's making them better. And I think that's an important element of why we do what we do. It does make it fun. Recognize there's going to be some blips along the way, as there has been and always will be. 
but you know if you're if you're thoughtful and caring and and work alongside good people uh it makes a big difference and uh, you know it's it's i think the the opportunities are as bright ahead for real estate investing and other components of this business uh, as we've ever seen and the fact that we've demonstrated it's a legitimate space with legitimate capital uh, and the marketplace is recognizing the importance of that uh, in securitizations and other things uh, bodes very well for our future. Yeah, bullish for sure. So thank you so much for joining. I, I can't thank you enough. All right. And uh, here's to another year. There we go. Cheers. We'll, we'll, there we go. We'll get uh, we'll get you up for the year two episode. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. For those of you looking to get in touch with Lima One, L-I-M-A-O-N-E dot com. Lima One dot com. Uh, Dalton at LimaOne.com. Feel free to reach out to me directly. And, and thank you all for a wonderful year. And like Jeff said, looking forward to year number two with the podcast. Thanks for listening. Take care. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.